A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Bucayo saca, toca para Odegaard, balcón del área, uy, que pase, uy, que pase para el primero de Odegaard. Stadium, Arsenal 1, Liverpool 0. No hay peligro en esa acción a balón parado del Liverpool. Recupera Gabriel Jesús para el Arsenal. Ojo que esto es un 3 para 3. 49 y medio de partido. Martinelli va con la pelota. Martinelli recorta. Ojo, lo oh. deja pasar. ¡Qué bien lo ha hecho Gabriel! Gol de Bucayo saca. Gol del Arsenal. Saca versus Allison. Cámara de videojuego para este penalti. Allá va Bucayo. Saca con la zurda. Gol. Gol, 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 gol. De Bucayo saca. Que vuelve a poner arriba al Arsenal en el luminoso. En Londres. Otra vez ganan los Gunners. Arsenal 3. Liverpool 2. Ya hay mambo en el Emirates Stadium. is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra as always with James from Gunnerblog. James! Goodly morning, goodly morning. Goodly morning, goodly morning, goodly morning. Goodly morning, goodly morning, goodly morning. Oh, oh, goodly morning. Wow. I love it. A classic. I love it. I know, but it, you know, it felt appropriate for this morning. Keep yeah. things upbeat, you know, get the rhythm going. Get that Falco yeah. funk into our veins <laughs> early on. Start strong, like yeah. Arsenal yesterday. Oh boy, did we start strong? That was uh, that was good, eh? That was good. It was a great fifty-eight seconds. Yeah, <sighs> really, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, listen, the whole thing was was I, actually. I'm not going to lie. I was about to say the whole thing was brilliant. The whole thing was quite stressful for quite long periods. <laughs> but such is the nature of big yeah. games, and it went our way in the end. So yeah, really fantastic. Uh, yeah, I fluctuated between like almost ridiculously supreme confidence at times mm. and sheer terror. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think towards the end of the game, I think when we got to 3-2, I think people have had some doubts about Liverpool, haven't they? They've had some questions about their form and their results and everything else. But that that was not Liverpool, That um, you know, not the Liverpool of the last few years where you're 3-2 up and then you just end up getting pressed and harried and hassled and all that kind of stuff. There was something there was something missing. So it did make those last 
few minutes a little less terrifying than they might have ordinarily been, although the sort of seven minutes of injury time um, at the end did make me a bit scared. Yeah, but yeah, I, I agree with you, actually, that that final period of the game was relatively comfortable, and I think Arsenal as well deserve great mm. credit for that, for the way that they handled it. But it was, yeah, it just a, a really fantastic result. I mean, I think fair play to you. I think when we were doing our predictions a couple of weeks ago, you very bullishly said we would beat Spurs and beat Liverpool. Did I? Um, maybe. You certainly said we'd beat Liverpool, I think. Right. So I take my hat off to you. G- chapeau? Uh, chapeau. Wow. As they say. A chapeau. Amazing. Can this day get any better? Uh, yes, it can, because we're going to relive what happened yesterday at the Emirates. Um, let's start with a bit of team news, mm-hmm. where Mikel Arteta sprang something of a surprise by picking Takehiro Tomiyasu at left-back. Mm-hmm. And look, it, it raised some eyebrows. Certainly on my Twitter timeline, it raised some eyebrows, and people were going, Why? Kieran Tierney's fit. He played well the other night. Why are you playing Tommy Asu there? Mohamed Salah coming off the pitch at 69 minutes tells you that Mikel Arteta got that decision very, very right. And and Tommy Asu is um, he's just such a good player, such an accomplished defender. I really enjoy watching him uh, defend. You know, when there's a duel, Mikel Arteta is not upset because he wins the duels. Um, but it's still a big call, wasn't it? You know, you could see the logic of it where he's playing a right-footed defender against a left-footed player on the right who likes to cut inside. So you've got strong foot against strong foot, if you like. But, I mean, he absolutely had Salah in his pocket for the whole game. It was a, it was a fantastic performance from Tommy Asu and a, a great decision from Arteta. Yeah, and to be fair, I think Arteta has done this before or similar things before. You know, I remember him playing Ainsley Maitland-Niles uh, up against uh, Riyad Mahrez, I think, for Manchester City. Um, might have done it against Salah as well in the Community Shield as a kind of left wing back. I think he has even played Cedric as a left back against a, a left-footed right winger. So it's something we've seen him do in the past. And there might have been a match last season where he did it with Tommy Asu. Um, well, I think it was Newcastle, but I don't know that it was necessarily... Um Tactical. I think no, this was I tactical. Don't, I don't mean that one. I think there was another occasion I'm thinking of. Right, but okay. I, I, anyway, he, he he does do this thing where he plays a right-footer against a, a left-footed right-winger. Um, it kind of matches up the inversion. But I also think, you know, I do wonder how much of it is just down to the fact that he thinks Tomiyasu is his best one-to-one defender. You know, in those mm. duels, I'm not sure Arsenal have anybody better he's so effective at winning the ball back and there are a couple of early challenges in this game you know I think five minutes in he just won a big towering header at the far post and after about 15 minutes there was a one-on-one with Salah he came out on top all the crowd got off their feet he had a really fantastic game and absolutely uh you know, demonstrated that Arteta was right to pick him. Yeah, I, I, I don't even think it's uh, completely about the the left footer versus right footer thing because part no. of where Liverpool are effective and have been effective is how well they switch the play. That big diagonal, you know, which can go over the fullback. Tommy Asu's reading of the game and the way that he can position himself and make the header. He makes it look very simple, but it's not. It really isn't. It's it's um, yeah, he's just a brilliant 
defender. Like I also think on the ball, you know, again, this is not to um, detract from Kieran Tierney, who I thought was excellent in the week, but I think Tommy Asu on the ball gives you weirdly kind of more close, closer to Zinchenko in terms of his, you know, willingness to come inside. He's very two-footed, mm. very good passer, very clean technically. I think he helps in that respect as well. Um, you know, I don't think that this is now, he's now the de facto second choice left back and we're never going to see Kieran Tierney again or anything like it. I think he was just the right man for this game. Sure. Credit to Arteta for making that call. I'm sure Kieran Tierney would have been extremely disappointed to miss out on this one, but you can't really argue with the performance that Tommy Asu put in. No, absolutely not. And uh, maybe now the guys on Sky Sports who do the transfers can figure out what Tommy Asu is. Uh, maybe. Um, <laughs> or maybe they can't because, frankly, he's so good everywhere he plays. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. is, he a, is he a right back? Is he a left back? Is he a centre back? Nobody knows. Nobody could be any. <laughs> Fuck those guys. Um, right. An amazing start to the game um, with a goal in less than 60 seconds. And it's quite... Look, football is a bit weird because, like, it can be a split second. It can be, like, a a ball that bounces one way that, you know, takes you off your axis, whatever it is. And it's quite possible that before we scored this goal, I think William Saliba had a heavy touch. And it it could have gone the other way. It's one of those that could easily have gone the other way. And we've seen occasions like that, you know, loads of times where the ball just breaks for the opposition and all of a sudden you're in trouble. But they took a heavy touch too. Saliba gave it to Saka, Saka to Martin Odegaard. What a pass that is for Martin Odegaard for Gabriel Martinelli. He didn't even need to break his stride before he just ran onto the ball and and put it beyond Alisson. You know, superb goal, uh, superb team goal. But you know, just so efficient in terms of how it happened. As soon as Saka got the ball, drives forward, he knows Odegaard is going to be in support and Martinelli's run, that run that he makes, you know, into the box and we've seen him do it more than once this season. It's such a threat uh, and the, and his pace, his timing, all of it's so good and, and the pass from Odegaard. What a brilliant way to start the game. Yeah, it was. I mean, Saliba, like you said, almost gave the ball away and then showed customary composure to mm. kind of get it under control, play it out. Saka was driving at Van Dyke, and Van Dyke, I don't think, really wanted to know about it, to be honest. He was backing off. Um, that's one of the things about Saka. I think even, you know, even though there have been games this season where maybe he's not been at the very top of his game, he has got that fear factor. You know, he frightens people with the way he mm. runs with the ball. They back away from him. They find Odegaard. I mean, the Liverpool defensive shape is a mess really at this particular point in time we talked about the Arsenal team news the slightly surprising Liverpool team news was they stuck with a team with basically four up front I mean it was almost a 4-2-4 at Mm. times Arsenal hugely overloaded them on that particular right side on that attack and the pass from Odegaard's brilliant. I mean, it's almost like hurling or something. Do I mean hurling? Curling, I mean. Sorry, wrong sport. Curling, yeah, the hurling's a bit more frantic, um, yeah. Yeah, like the way it sort of skids along the ground but comes to a stop just in Martinelli's stride. It's mm. so perfectly weighted and, yeah, a great moment for Martinelli who I thought had a an outstanding performance. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, he had two Liverpool fullbacks on toast for the duration yeah. of the game. Um, Trent, obviously, is going through a difficult period, but he couldn't handle him, and Joe Gomez couldn't handle him either. Um, yeah, I mean, just a, a brilliant way to start the game. And this first goal is always such an important one. 
Liverpool now have conceded the first goal in 10 of their last 12 Premier League games, which is astonishing. Mm. Um, you yeah. know, if it happened in, you know, five games, you'd say, ooh, that's a bit that's a bit of a problem. This, I don't quite know what it is, whether it's a psychological thing you've got to overcome, but clearly they're having some difficulties. And I do wonder if in the in the build-up to the game, that was something that the manager stressed to his players, like the, the potential to score the first goal against Liverpool is as high as it ever was. I think so. And Arsenal are starting games pretty well at the present point in time. Um, I think they're coming out the blocks pretty effectively. And Liverpool have got this remarkable record of going behind. I mean, it is interesting. They do seem to have lost a lot of their defensive stability. I don't think Van Dijk looks close to as comfortable as how he as he did. Mm. Um, Fabinho's not even getting in the team, which I think tells you something about the quality of his performances this season. It's been a massive drop-off in his form. So, yeah, they are sort of there to be got at. And Trent, like you say, is just in one of those periods where you almost feel for a player, you know, because mm. everything's going against them. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but Arsenal took advantage. They got that early goal. And to give Liverpool some credit, I actually thought they stabilised pretty effectively after that. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a strange half, really, because Arsenal went in in front. But I think Liverpool probably had the, certainly had the better of the possession and, and better of the territory, I think, for most of the half. I think so. Certainly, you know, after about 10, 15 minutes, they, they got a hold of the game in a way that, you know, I wasn't entirely comfortable with. I don't know that they were hugely threatening all the time, but but certainly, you know, they were very tidy in midfield. I'm not sure our midfield was was working as well as it, it should have. You know, certainly when you look at the quality of, of Partey, Odegaard and, and Shaka, to sort of, I don't don't want to say they got the runaround from Thiago and Henderson, but but certainly they controlled the game pretty well for Liverpool without sufficient uh, pressure from Arsenal. Um, there was that yeah, moment. Thiago was ghosting mm. around, wasn't he? Making lots of problems for Arsenal. I, I think the the system Liverpool played with the kind of you know four up top or one off the striker. I think that presented Arsenal with some problems, particularly Thomas Partey, who was under mm. massive pressure, you know. Um, and I thought ultimately he came through in a really impressive fashion, but it was more congested than he's accustomed to in that part of the pitch. And I think that played into Liverpool's hands a bit. Well, well sure, yeah. And you could, like, nominally it's a two, but if you're playing three then exactly. behind the striker, that can be five. Exactly. And Jada was dropping into some dangerous positions as well. Um, very nice to keep that fucker um, from scoring a goal yesterday as well. That's yeah, just something that once. occurred to me now. There's another little uh, cherry on top of the icing on the cake. Um, what about the penalty shout from a Liverpool a Liverpool perspective? Gabriel Hamball. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's... I thought it might be given, I'll be honest. So when they I. reviewed it mm. and I saw the replay, I thought, ooh... You know, I've seen them given, certainly. I think you see more of them given than not given. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, like Gabriel was very close to him. So there's a, a, an issue of, of proximity, isn't there? And then mm-hmm. the, the stuff about like his hand is not in a natural position. But like that doesn't make much sense to me, really. It never has made a great deal of sense to me. Like, if a guy is sliding in to block a shot... Do you remember there was one last season? Was it last season? Where I think it was Cedric took a shot, and 
the defender slid in and had his arm out above his head and the ball hit his hand, I think that is a much more obvious hand not in a natural position than if you're a defender, if you're standing in the box, if you're trying to stand up against a guy who's twisting and turning, as you adjust yourself, as you twist and turn, you're, you know, you need your arms for balance. Um, you know, that, that hand was not in an unnatural position to me. It was a natural position based on the movement in the box. You know, if you're standing with yeah. your hands behind your back, that's unnatural. But, Absolutely. But that's not how humans work. No, exactly. I mean, I think holding your arms by your side or behind your back is, uh, as you say, unnatural in that situation. Uh, the proximity, I think, is what saves Gabriel here. You know, it's mm. w- when you look at the replay, it's very close to him that the ball is struck. Um, but I can't lie, I was relieved that it passed without a penalty, you know? Yeah, well, me too, me too. And look, sometimes you get decisions that go for you and sometimes, you know, they go against you. And we've been on um, more than enough of the uh, bad decisions for us to to get a little bit of, um, I won't say good fortune from the referee, but but for it to, to go our way. Um, the first half, like I, by the time we headed towards the, the injury time and, and everything else. I was sitting there thinking, just get in at 1-1, let the manager sit down, let him talk to the players, let him address the the couple of issues that we have in terms of control and, and what we're going to do about Liverpool uh, when they're in possession and how we're going to combat that and everything else. Then they get that free kick and I'm thinking, just just clear it, just get rid of it. You know, if it comes in, just hoof it. Get, you know, we go in 1-1, we sort ourselves out. Should we touch on their goal before we get to this? Or oh yeah, fuck! I forgot all about their goal. I mean, listen, I don't like talking about the opposition. Yeah, goal, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd forgotten all about that. To be fair, it was kind of coming in a way, wasn't it? There were a couple of warning signs. There was the Saliba. Uh, well, that was almost identical. <clears throat> weirdly, yeah. Uh, ball into a channel. Cross came in. Saliba uh, looking for another own goal. But, uh, yeah, it was a similar sort of shaped move. Yeah. Just a few moments before they did get back into the game. I mean, Gabriel, I've seen quite a lot of criticism of Gabriel on that one. What did you make of it? I think he should have dealt with that better, for sure. He should have, you know, that was a very, just an up and under, if you like, Mm. from Trent. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't one of his precision long balls or anything like that. I think you've got to defend that better, you know, if you're Gabriel. You can't let that bounce, and we paid the price for it. Um, A little bit unlucky in the sense that the the cross went between Saliba's legs. It could easily have just sort of, you know, bounced off him and and gone out for a corner. Um, It was super clinical, I think, from their perspective. Um, You know, good cross, good finish. They they took it really well. I think he... I don't know that he means to do that, does he? Do you think he does? I don't know. I don't know. If he does, it is a good finish. I suppose. If he did mean it, it's a good finish. If he didn't, it's just a kind of clumsy boot into the into the ground. I enjoyed his um you know, in 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 the aftermath of the game, I enjoyed his uh his celebration. Is I mean, do you know is that something he does all the time? Is that like his trademark celebration? you're crying, ha, 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 because it doesn't stand up when you lose a game, does it? No, no. I don't know. I think he does. Um, I think he does do it. But he hadn't scored for, you know, since the opening day. So I wonder if it was about, um, 
I don't know, he, you know, related to his own situation. But I think in, in the wake of a defeat, mm. it doesn't look great. No. <laughs> um, right. So we're getting to our goal then now that we've got that uh, horrible business that out of the way. little blip out of the that way. little yeah. blip out of the way. And look, you know, I think you're right. Liverpool were, were on top in, in that first half. But Arsenal as a counter-attacking team are making real progress. Um, it's something we're very good at now, those quick transitions, the way we got the ball out to the wide areas. Martinelli showed his pace, didn't he, earlier in the game when I think there was a race with Diaz. Mm. Um, I actually think Diaz is a little bit unlucky to get booked because in real time, it looks like an obvious foul, but I think Martinelli trips himself up yeah, when you look at the replays. and. Yes. um I mean, look, it didn't matter much in the grand scheme of things, but uh, that that pace that he showed on the break was really something. When you see Arsenal break forward at pace like that, you see Martinelli one side, you see Saka the other side, you don't always expect to see Gabriel, big Gabby, as the man in the middle making the break forward. No, and that's a, a moment where he just sees the initiative and we know that he's quite an emotional player on the pitch mm. and it's one of those where you almost wonder if you know the goal we've conceded and his potential part in it plays into his decision there i mean he, he sees the ball sort of moving into the opposition half and he thinks sorry i'm just going to go and he keeps on going he ends mm. up about 6 yards out from goal it is but it's a really important intervention because again as with the first goal it creates an overload it creates a numbers imbalance that liverpool are not in a position to deal with um and Martinelli does brilliantly, takes Henderson and Trent out of the game with a really nice little turn. Um, and what and a genius, <laughs> a genius step over from Gabriel. It actually is. I mean, it yeah. is a really, it's a deliberate thing that he do, he does there. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's very smart. Uh, I I don't think Trent defends that particularly well. Um, no. But what I what I reckon he's anticipating there is Martinelli, given the way that he's been playing and given what he's capable of, I think he's absolutely expecting Martinelli to roast Henderson on the outside and go beyond him. So he's moving out to try and anticipate that. And of course, like you say, Martinelli cuts back inside. It's a very good ball across. The the dummy from Gabriel is really, really good. And there's Bakayo Sack at the back post to make it 2-1. And, um, you know, a goal just before halftime is always a good time to score a goal, particularly when you're looking and maybe just hoping that you're going to get in at one-one and and not behind actually. So um, yeah. yeah, what what a I didn't expect that, but obviously delighted by it. Yeah, and I think it was not an ideal half from Mikel Arteta's perspective. He looked quite animated on the touchline, mm. uh, and you know, giving out a lot of instructions, trying to put things right. But it's also worth saying, as you did, that even though Liverpool probably had the better of the half. Arsenal always threatened on the break. They always threatened in those moments of transition. You know, if Odegaard got on the ball, if Saka and Martinelli were running in behind, they were a perennial problem for Liverpool, even when Mm. they were dominating the ball. And I think it's really interesting because we've seen Arsenal win a lot of games by sort of taking the game to their opponent and, you know, being the team with the majority of the possession, having all the territory... But this first 45 minutes showed that they can kind of do it both ways. They can be a team that thrives in transition too. Um, And that was really encouraging in its own way. But I think Liverpool probably would have been 
very disappointed to have gone in at half time 2 1 down, given mm. their performance, and Arsenal absolutely elated. I mean, you know, when the half time whistle blew, they sprinted down the tunnel, yeah, Arsenal. They did. It was almost they? like they knew, right, we've absolutely got away with one there. It, that was that's an exaggeration, but you know we're in a slightly fortuitous position. Let's get in and sort out some of the issues that we're having on the field so that we can consolidate this. Yeah, no, I I, I agree, and I, I did notice that as well. I think we had a question about that, um, which I probably can't find uh, right now. Um, boom, boom, boom. No, I can't find it. Oh, Sam Rat, who's on on Twitter at Samchez Seven, who said, "What did you make of the players rushing to the dressing room at halftime, even though we were leading? It seemed the players realised they were under the cosh far too long for their liking in the first half. A good change in mentality, and I, you know, maybe they just wanted to run down the tunnel, laughing their heads off. Um, but you know, I do agree that there's, you know, there's something in the way that they react to not just difficult moments, but good moments as well to try and make the most of them. And, and it's th- becoming, a, you know, it's becoming a regular occurrence at the Emirates Stadium, but when Liverpool equalised, you know, yeah. there's that sort of initial moment of silence and disappointment and then the crowd was straight away rallying the troops again. And that is the position Arsenal have got themselves into now where the, the supporters have such faith and such belief in them mm. that, you know, an opposition goal is not enough to puncture the atmosphere and I think that's no. been hugely important and Me, I, you know go on. I'm, I was going to say I mean we've talked about this at length and more than once this season yeah. so I don't want to go over it too much again but um, you know Mikel Arteta said it's the best atmosphere um, you know that he's ever experienced and I think we had a uh, let me just see if I can get it up here uh, true story underscore number four um, said, I didn't think we could beat last week's North London Derby atmosphere, but we did just as loud. Uh, but we raised the roof and, uh, you know, uh, roared on the boys even when Liverpool were on top. Um, I mean, is this just the new normal now? I, I I hope it is because it's an amazing thing to experience, you know, when you go over for a game. And when I was there last week, it was truly fantastic and obviously results play a big part in how people are feeling and you've won eight games from nine you know in the season everyone's going to feel good but it's it's all connected isn't it there's something joined up in the way that everything is is feeling the sensations the atmosphere all of it um you know you can you can see it whether you're there or not yeah and i've heard a few people saying this morning and last night, the atmosphere is as good as it's been since Arsenal were at Highbury, um, which, you know, is nearly mm. 20 years ago now. Oh, fuck. It, <laughs> yeah, it, is, it is quite an extraordinary uh, development. And, you know, I think our atmosphere at the Emirates Stadium has been a little bit unfairly maligned at times. Yeah. Um, but no one is questioning the volume and the intensity of the atmosphere that you get at Arsenal these days. Um, It is a really exciting place to be. And yeah, I think anyone who can get a ticket for any game Mm. at the present point in time is very fortunate because yeah, it's just a superb thing to be a part of. I was working yesterday, I was in the press box, so I was maybe less a part of it than I was for the North London Derby. But in Mm -hmm. in a funny way, it sort of enabled me to kind of sit back from it and sort of, you know, watch it more as a spectator. And I was just struck by, yeah, the passion that pours forward from the stands and, 
you know, that Saliba chant uh, to the, the, the tequila song, mm. it's actually a very difficult um, song for a whole stadium to sing in unison. Yeah, because it's a simple, <laughs> one side is doing the whoa, and then they're, yeah, they're slightly well, ahead. So what happened yesterday is like, so the do, 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 bit would be kind of quite out of sync, but then when it got to like the do, 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 there would just, it would create like, if somehow it would all so kind of sync up at that point in time and there would be like a wall of noise. Like it was extraordinary. Like mm. the, like the stadium was uh, vibrating. And I mean, I didn't, I don't think I ever thought I'd really say that of the Emirates. And I, I don't mean to be disparaging, but just because it is one of those more modern um, bowl like arenas mm. because of the size of it, because of the, you know, necessary sort of distance of the supports from the pitch. You know, I just never thought it would feel quite like this. And so it's really special and I'm hugely appreciative to, to be there and partake in it. And it's down to a uh, lots of different things. Sure. Um, but results are of course a part of it, but yeah, it, it's great because it becomes this sort of positive cycle where it all just feeds each other and it keeps building. Well, long may it last, long may it yeah. last. Um, Second half, I think Arsenal were were a lot better. There was a, a very early chance, wasn't there, for Martin Odegaard when he shot straight at the goalkeeper, and I think he probably should have done better. The way he put his head in his hands, um, you know, he he knew uh, he knew that uh, he should have done better in that situation. And then a couple of minutes later, Liverpool are Liverpool are level again. And look, I. I I love William Saliba as much as the next man or woman, but he's still 21. There are going to be games where he goes through things or things happen, which are teachable moments, learnable moments for him. And the way Firmino ran off the back of him there, I think that's one of those. Um, it, it it was an illustration as well, I think, of how incisive Liverpool still can be, despite not being perhaps the Liverpool we've all hated. I don't know if that's the right, but, but we've all seen, I guess, over the last few years, mm. you know, they're still a dangerous team and it only takes three or four passes to open you up and, and you can, um, you pay the price. I mean, it's a very, very good finish, I think, from Firmino with his left foot. I mean, the goalkeeper has got no chance on yeah, that. Yeah, it's in the side netting, yeah. isn't it? I, I think it was an interesting start to the half because Arsenal actually came out the blocks flying again. There was the Odegaard chance you mentioned. One of the rare opportunities where perhaps he could have passed rather than shot. Um, there were two good Van, De uh, Van, De Van Dyke blocks um, <laughs> to deny Saka and Odegaard. There was a, an opportunity where Jesus was just offside. And yeah. In my match notes, um, it, I've just written LFC shaky. Is this the moment? You know, it really felt like Arsenal were going to push on and get a goal. And then the Liverpool goal came as a bit of a sucker punch, really. I mean, it was against the run of play. I, I'd say it was almost as against the run of play as Arsenal's second goal was. Mm. Um, and actually, it was interesting. As, as Arsenal kind of sensed a potential goal to go 3-1 uh, up in the game, they just became a tiny bit stretched. And I could see Arteta on the sidelines kind of communicating a lot about distances and trying to keep the team compact and not get drawn into mm. chasing that third goal. Because I think they sensed a vulnerability in Liverpool who'd made a change at the back and looked quite chaotic in their own penalty box. 
And then, yeah, a, a moment of real quality um, from them to get that equalising goal. And I agree with you that Saliba gets done there. And I, I think, uh, I, I do think that the sort of the, the standing and the affection in which our two centre-halves are held is a little bit uh, feeding the narrative around their performances, to be honest. I think Saliba has been better than Gabriel, but I think if Gabriel made the mistake Saliba made on that goal, he'd be absolutely castigated for it, you know? Yeah, maybe so. Look, he is the flavour of the month, no two ways about it, and you tend to get a bit more leeway. And I'm not being critical of him for that um for that goal because he is still very young for a central defender uh, as we've said before to to do what he is doing at the age of 21 is extraordinary because you you very rarely see central defenders at that age with his level of composure with the way he reads the game most of the time but you know there are going to be times where things don't go as well as they could. And this is where he develops and this is where he learns. And, you know, as he gets older and hopefully stays at Arsenal with a brand new contract, you know, we see the benefits of that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's just sort of, that's normal. But I, I liked our response to to the Liverpool goal. Like you say, it wasn't helter-skelter. We didn't go all out, but there was a real bravery in the way that we played. Yeah. Like, you could fully understand if after everything we've been through against Liverpool in the last couple of years when it went to 2-2 we got a bit shaky uh, and we got a bit you know weirded out by oh well maybe a point is okay against Liverpool because we haven't beaten them in so long and a point would be fine but we played like a team that knew we were capable of taking three points from this Liverpool team there were moments, weren't there? There was uh, Granite Xhaka, whacked one over. It was a really nice piece of skill in the box. Mm-hmm. Um, clipped it over. I think it was Matip at that point. Um, there was a moment when Saka, almost a carbon copy of the the goal, but I think he handled the ball. It bounced it up and hit him ball, on the yeah. hand. Um, right. And then Liverpool took off Salah. And I, I do think there's something to this substitution, you know? that you can look at what's going on as, as, you know, look at what the opposition do, you know, play your own game and all that kind of stuff. But when they take off Salah, it would be like, you know, a team that was playing Arsenal and you take off Thierry Henry. Like, even if he's having a quiet game, he's he's got the quality to score a goal, not necessarily out of nothing, but players of that caliber have the ability to decide games one way or the other. And I think Arsenal were emboldened by the removal of Salah. You know, not just from the not just from the perspective that I think it made Liverpool weaker, even if he was getting nothing out of Tommy Asu, I think it made them weaker as an attacking force. And Arsenal capitalized on that because that period between when did he come off? 69 minutes. And we started then to turn the screw and we played so much of the game in their half, you know, and that, that sort of space between the Liverpool right back and the right-sided centre half where Shaka and Martinelli were there and they were there again and there was a shot and there was a cross and I think it was Kanate made a very good block uh, from a low Xhaka cross. But we were in that area relentlessly until such time as we got the penalty. And I think the the... The fact that Klopp took uh, Salah off played a big part in that. 
Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, it was a double change, wasn't it? Salah and Matip came off and they brought on Canate and Fabinho. So mm. two, you know, a centre-half and a defensive midfielder, yeah. effectively. And at that precise point in time, I looked over to the uh, Arsenal subs bench and just when the penalty was awarded, Arsenal were preparing to bring on Fabio Vieira. So mm. at a time when... Liverpool, which I was sort of quite taken aback by. I was like, wow, okay, we're really going for this. You know, at a time when Liverpool were bringing on defensive players and trying to shut down and secure a draw, Arsenal were going to bring on a creative attacking player to try and win it. Yeah. And I think that tells you all about where the emphasis was. And that's that's big boy stuff, really, to yeah, be yeah. level with Liverpool, 20 minutes to go, 11 aside. You know, it's a, it's a topsy-turvy game. Both teams are a threat in their own way and think... No, we're going to play our hand. We're going to go for it. Uh, it's pretty ballsy and tells you something about the belief yeah. that Arteta and Arsenal have right now. No, for sure. The confidence that the players have. And I think as well, you know, the confidence that the manager has in the players to be able to go and do that. Mm. Because, look, we've seen during Mikel Arteta's time in charge, there have been moments where he has lent into pragmatism, Right where he sort of said, okay, well, this is as far as we can go, or this is as much as we can do with these players, and we will be maybe a little bit more cautious than people might like. Whereas yesterday, it was like, okay, it's here. It's here for us. You know, a draw would be a good result against Liverpool, but a win will mean something a little bit special. And the fact that we were willing to go for it, the fact that we we did it... um. And we're rewarded for that ambition, I think, is is really pleasing because, you know, football fans, they'll tell you, I don't mind, I don't mind how we win as long as we win, right? And that's reasonable. But I think most of us want to see a team that's ambitious, that plays attacking football, that, that tries to win games. And that's what we're seeing with this Arsenal team right now, that there's something just really fun about the way that we are playing and mm -hmm. what we're doing and how we're doing it and these characters, these players that we all like and, and can identify with, you know, whether we really know them or not. We know what they're giving us on the pitch. We know what they're what they're trying to do for the football club. And, and that's what we identify with, I think, uh, most of all. But it's very pleasing, you know, when when... Like, we could have shut up shop and gone for 2-2. We could have done the Rob Holding thing. You know, we didn't even do the Rob Holding thing when it was 3-2. No, he, so, he was warming up, but he, he didn't push the button. Look, it's fine to have Rob uh, Holding warming up in those circumstances. It's absolutely a, a good common sense thing to do, but we didn't do it. You know, when yeah. Gabriel Jesus got a knock... We replaced him with Eddie and Kedia. We didn't bring on another defender, you know, to to shut up shop. And and you know, there's something there's something very good about that. In you know, when you consider where the team is going to go and how it's going to get there, that kind of mindset I think is is important. Absolutely, I I I really think when Liverpool made those changes, Arteta sensed a vulnerability and. You know, he and Arsenal went for it and they got their reward. Although, uh, I have to be honest, I do think the, the penalty that we got was a really soft one. Maybe, yeah, maybe so. It was, 
you know, it was not as stone cold as, as some of them. But you know what? Maybe it's the kind of penalty you get when you're the home team and you've got the crowd behind you and there's that atmosphere swirling around the stadium and you're trying to actively win the game. Yeah, That's absolutely. the kind of penalty you get. Um, Bakayo Saka. Obviously, the framing of him taking a penalty will be for some time the um, the Euros final. Mm-hmm. And I understand why. But I wonder how long it will be before we can put that to bed because since then, he scored a penalty against Chelsea, scored a penalty against Man United, and he scored a penalty yesterday in very high-pressure circumstances. And I was really confident that he was going to score. What about you? Oh, wow. I wasn't at all. Really? <laughs> I was like Aaron Ramsdale. I could barely watch. Um, Jurgen Klopp didn't watch. And yeah, I, I saw that as well. Yeah. Uh, no, I was, I have to, I'll be brutally honest. I wasn't uh, confident. Alisson's wow. pretty good on penalties. And... I just am not in a place yet where I have kind of unswerving faith in Saka as a penalty taker. How many more is it going to take? Um, <laughs> quite a lot more, probably. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, a good penalty taker is a good penalty taker over 50 penalties, not over five. Um, but this was a ballsy penalty and a really good one. Don't yeah. get me wrong. This was one of the first penalties I was like, that's a really good penalty. You know what I mean? Like he scored some penalties and I've been like, oh, I'm glad that went in. But this was a really good penalty. It was because Alisson did the thing where he stood a little bit to his left and said, you go to the bigger space to my right. Yeah. And Saka said, okay, I'll do that. Well, Saka kind of gives him the eyes as well. If you watch it back, I'm convinced Saka looks at the opposite corner as he runs up. Um, I mean, Alisson doesn't buy it, as it turns out. Mm. So it's got to it's got to be a really good strike. But it was a really good strike uh, in a pressure moment. And yeah, I do hope we can stop talking about the Euros now because you know it is um, quite some time ago. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, it's you know I think he's I think I think he's put it behind him. It's just a question of whether kind of television coverage has. Uh, not yet. And <laughs> that was that was very clear in the, uh, the commentary on the US feed of the game from Peter Drury, which uh, I've seen doing the rounds with some sort of dramatic heart-rending yeah, 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 music yeah. on it. But I think it's just worth playing uh, on its own, just the commentary. So I have it here. We'll play this and uh, we'll come back after this. Now this is one brave boy, Bukayo Saka, because this is one pressure penalty. He has experienced pressure from the spot like few others. He has suffered for that pressure. But now the Emirates braces itself for a perhaps pivotal kick of the football. These are broad shoulders. This is courage. A sporting moment in time. Kyo Saka. Such poise! Such noise! There you go. I I like the way he said such noise and then just let the noise of the crowd go in. uh, Yeah, I I, I mean, I'll be honest, listening to that, I felt nervous all over again, Andrew. It was a a hell of a ride. But um, 
Yeah, great. I mean, great commentary. Good it commentary is. is an art form, I do think. Uh, I, do, I do. I don't know if you've noticed, but I, I think he's got a little bit of a tick, Peter Drury, because he, he sort of mentions a moment in time. I just wonder, does he get up in the morning and go, this is a coffee in time. This <laughs> is breakfast in time. But look. He it, doesn't undersell the drama. No, he certainly sure. doesn't. And you know what? I'd much rather listen to him than... Martin Tyler and Gary Neville, uh, who you thankfully would not have experienced yesterday, but many of us did, and it was torturous. Oh, really? So, yeah, it was just these two. <laughs> I think um, it was a big moment for Saka and mm. a big moment for Arsenal. You know, they were they were given an opportunity and they took it, and yeah, it was fantastic. And it, I think as well for him, who's had this season where, you know, people have been looking at him and saying, is he at the level? Is he doing everything he can do? Two goals in a defeat of Liverpool uh, is going to give him all the confidence in the world, isn't it? Yeah, look, I don't think he is quite at his best form. But in 11 appearances this season, a couple of them are, you know, cameos in the Europa League as well. He has... I think it's three goals and four assists, seven goal involvements in 11 games. And if that's Bakayo Saka not at his best, then let's lick our lips and wait for when he is at his best because, you know, what he could produce and what he can produce in this team at 20, uh, 21 years of age is is amazing. Oh, Why? and another thing on the Go penalty, on. by the way, he had to wait an awful long time to take it. Oh, he did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which added to the, uh, you know, the sense of drama. Um, there was a clip doing the rounds. Did you see um, Van Dyke tried to knock the ball out of his hands? And Martinelli sort of ushered Van Dyke away, just got in the way. Um, you know, the usual sort of nonsense players get up to to try and psych somebody out. But, you know, he wasn't phased at all. He just said, I, I knew what I was going to do with it. I think he said something like that anyway. I knew what I was going to do with the penalty and I just stuck to it and, and put it in. Like, yeah, a big yeah. moment, a big moment for him. Um, a big moment for Arsenal. I'm not sure there's anything else we necessarily need to talk about in, in, in the game, but that we haven't already mentioned. I mean, you know, the last 15 minutes, yes, a bit nervy, but not the Liverpool we've come to know. Um, I expected more. You know, I expected those last, I expected us to be a bit under the cosh, but then yeah. they're taken off you know, their best player. So They're having a very, very strange season in the Premier League. They've won yeah. two of their eight games, um, mm. which is kind of extraordinary when you think about how brilliant they were last season. Uh, it's it's kind of incredible how quickly the wheels can come off. I don't doubt that they will come good and they'll, you know, uh, reassert themselves as the season wears on. Mm. But when you've got... Um, teams picking up quite as many points as Arsenal are and, and of course Manchester City are uh, it's a real problem for Liverpool but Arsenal did their job really effectively too and I thought um, you know they changed the shape a bit didn't they they brought on Tierney and Tommy Asu went into a, a back three yeah um, you know they toyed with the possibility of bringing on Holding didn't do it brought on Nketiah brought on Vieira to energise the front line uh, and I thought they managed the situation pretty well. I mean, you know, they, Liverpool, they wanted a penalty, but I thought that was clearly a, a dive. Um, was it Harvey Elliott with Kieran T? Yeah, it was a dive. was a dive, yeah. 100%. And, I, I, and apart from that, I don't really think there were too many 
nervy moments in our box. No, no, Ramsdale really didn't have anything to do. Um, didn't have a save to make, no. really. Um, and and the stats were, you know, post game. The stats were were really something, weren't they? Um, let me just get up here because I took a screenshot of the um, the graphic they put up on Sky. Uh, Eleven shots to eight from an Arsenal uh, perspective. Seven on target, three for Liverpool. Expected goals, XG 2.99 for Arsenal, 1.13 for Liverpool. And I've seen elsewhere that that's been downgraded. 46 touches in the opposition box for Arsenal compared to 19 for Liverpool. Well, that's really telling, isn't it? It is. Especially not having most of the ball to get that many touches in the opposition box. 44% possession for Arsenal, 56% for Liverpool, and we still had 46 touches in the opposition box. Um, Yeah. What what do you, or how do you then categorise, no, categorise is the wrong word. Evaluate. Evaluate. That's exactly the word I'm looking for here. Because look, Last weekend, Arsenal won the derby, and that's brilliant because, you know, we beat Spurs and that's always good and everyone has a good time when you do that, but you've got to beat the big teams too. And given our recent record against Liverpool, it felt something like a millstone around our neck, didn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. we go to Anfield, we do all right for a little while, and then we collapse and we, you know, let in four goals or, you know, we'd be three down in half an hour, whatever it might be. Um, like I think when you're looking at the progress this team is making, you look at games like this as evidence of how competitive you can be. And if you can compete with Liverpool, even if they've been below par, then you know you're kind of going in the right direction in a in a fairly significant way, right? It's 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 a little bit similar to the Man City game on New Year's Day which ultimately we didn't win, um, you know, but on the day we played some very, very good stuff against, you know, the best team in in the country. And this was, I think, I'm, I can't call it a defining victory because we don't know what's coming next. But I do think it's the kind of victory that instills the sort of belief and confidence in the squad that, will allow them to think they can go to another level and another level and to, you know, stay competitive and, you know, maybe push Man City. I don't know. It's a long uh, long season. It's a tall order. We all know that. But I don't know that when you look at the Premier League right now, if you're Arsenal, you, you respect every opposition, but I don't think we should fear any anymore. And that's a real change from where we were not too long ago. Yeah. And, you know, you think you mentioned that Man City game. Arsenal played that game without fear and they didn't get the result ultimately. But that's why it was so energising for us to watch. Um, And, you know, Liverpool, yes, they beat us in this fixture last season. But for 45 minutes, we went toe-to-toe with them, as I recall. Mm. And it could have been a very different outcome. Um. And so this does feel like a continuation in that process of sort of establishing ourselves amongst the good teams in this league. Yeah. Um, I, I think there are, I, I think it's worked in our favour that we've played Tottenham and Liverpool at home, certainly. You know, we've spoken about the atmosphere and 
what that does for the team and the environment. And when we went to Old Trafford, you know, I thought we played all right on that day, but we were beaten. Um, you know, we go to Stamford Bridge in a few weeks' time. That will be an interesting sure. test of our metal. Can we replicate the performances and the results that we're able to generate at the Emirates Stadium elsewhere at these big grounds um, or little grounds in the case of Stamford Bridge? <laughs> uh, that's the next step for this team. But I think results like this will only help in that quest. And yeah, it, you know, a matter of days ago, we were looking at Spurs and Liverpool back to back and thinking, is this when we're going to come back down to earth with a bump? Mm. Uh, and we haven't. And so it's a very good time right now to be an Arsenal fan. There's just so much to be positive and excited about. For sure. For sure. And it's, it's a big win, a big three points, puts us back on top of the table. You know, again, above a Manchester City team who everyone is saying are are this sort of relentless um, machine of a team who will, you know, sweep all before them, um, which may well turn out to be the case. But we are where we are and we deserve, I think we absolutely deserve to be where we are this season. There's no luck about this. You know, this is not a, a question of, oh, we've, you know, look, maybe the fixture list was a little bit kind in the early weeks of the season. But, you know, this is based on hard work. It's based on tactics and training ground and good recruitment and smart um, team building and squad building and all the rest of it. So this is no accident and we should be pleased about where we are. And I think as well, we should take a, you know, as much time as we can to enjoy what's going on because, you know, football can change and things can change. I'm not being a downer in any way, but sometimes you need to just, you know, enjoy what's going on and not always look for, um, uh, I can't remember what I was going to say there. I just feel like we should enjoy yeah, this because it's future fun. future permutations. Yeah. You know, what does this mean? I, you know, I can't help but do a bit of that. Not so much regarding the title, but, you know, I look at the league table and yes, we're one point ahead of Man City and that's great, but we're four points ahead of Spurs. We're eight points ahead of Chelsea, nine points ahead of Man U, 14 points ahead of Liverpool. <sighs> you know, this these points that we're winning now Sure, let people talk about a title race, whatever. To be honest, I don't hear many Arsenal fans talking about that in a serious fashion at this point in time. But these points are precious and these points will stand us in very good stead come the end of the season. So mm. it's really interesting. You know, we've had so many questions in recent years about, you know, what what does success look like um, for Arsenal? You know, where does this... How do we determine sort of gratification from following a football team in the mm. Premier League? And I sort of think, I know it might sound absurd to some because, you know, what have we won? We've won nothing, right? We're just top of the league. But for me, this is a this is sort of an incredibly gratifying period as an Arsenal fan because yeah. almost everything you would want from your team. I mean, yeah, we all want silverware. We all want the big prizes. But we know given the competition that exists, that that can't possibly be the be-all and end-all. So then subsequently to that, it's like, what do you want? Well, you want a team that plays good football. You want a team that you like. Mm -hmm. You want a team that you identify that with. You know, maybe it's one that has homegrown or home nations players or academy young players who you know you associate with the club as being one of your own. I've still got plenty of all of those categories. You want a stadium that is full. You want a stadium that is rocking. 
and you want to win, you know, substantially more games than you lose. Mm-hmm. And Arsenal provide you with all those things right now. I mean, uh, yeah, Jamie Redknapp, <laughs> to be fair to him on Sky, said, if you're going to get a season ticket for anywhere in the Premier League, you'd want it to be here. And good luck to you, frankly, because people be queuing around the block to watch Arsenal at the present point in time. So yeah. we, we should enjoy this. Like wh- when you think about, or when I think about, I'll only speak for myself, but when I think about what I want from football and from my football club, Arsenal are delivering it to me at the present point in time. I completely agree with you. You know, and, and the unfortunate thing about football at the moment is you do have to sort of take into account the... What's the word? The Not the impossibility, but the reality of what is above you and what is likely to be above you for time immemorial. You know, as long as Man City have that investment and they have that, um, you know, that manager. And But you're absolutely right. Like, it's fun to watch Arsenal. It's fun to think about what we can do. It's fun to... Um, build up to the games it's great to sit here on a podcast and talk to you about all the good stuff because you know we've had a a a period of time where a lot of it was very introspective and and not necessarily in a good way whereas now we're we're looking at the best of what we can be it's taken us a while to get here there's always going to be some ups and downs and there will be through the season but but right now it's just great fun to be an arsenal fan to watch what these players are trying to do on the pitch and these various and quite diverse characters within the side itself. And we'll maybe come to that in part two with a question or two. I think it's just a really nice mix of of everything, like you say, everything you want from your football club. And if we can achieve silverware, if we can achieve tangible success, brilliant. You know, that's what we all want, and we all want to see trophies and, and everything else. But, um, you know, it feels like we're kind of reestablishing ourselves as a, in inverted commas, big club again, having gone through some doldrums. And, um, yeah, I'm, as they say, I'm here for it. Yeah, and and credit to credit to the club for, you know, inspiring a lot of that turnaround, it's, and it's cost you know, substantial amount of money too, but it, it is. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Yeah. It hasn't, I say, I say, it hasn't happened by accident. It also hasn't happened for free. No, no, it's it doesn't. But you know, you've got to spend money in a smart way and in the right way. Mm. Uh, and Arsenal, in terms of what they've done on the pitch, have have really achieved that. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, we are. We should enjoy it. We should enjoy it because you know, inevitably there will be trickier times ahead, but this sure. is a really fantastic time to be supporting Arsenal. All right. Well, let's uh, let's continue the enjoyment. Um, after a little break here, we're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. I did enjoy this um, from the Discord from the legend of Sally Baba. And he said, are you concerned with Granite Xhaka's goal drought? It's been a couple of games now since a goal, and he's in danger of letting Haaland beat him to the golden boot if he doesn't pick up his form soon. I am worried about it, but look, he keeps getting in good positions. So for any goal scorer, that's the key, right? You know, yeah. As long as he's taking up those positions, <laughs> the XG will eventually do him justice and he'll get the goal return we all expect and demand. <laughs> uh, all right, let me ask you this on them first. Uh, Optimistic Gunnar on the uh, Discord says, I completely get how this was a big test, showing our metal, etc. But now we have a run of at least seven extremely winnable games in all competitions. Is this the true test of what we're made of? Arsenal always seemed a team that uh, others made an extra effort to bring their A game against, even when they've been playing poorly against worst, uh, worse opposition. Beating the likes of Leeds and Forest is surely where the true test of Champions League material comes from. After all, our wanker neighbours beat City last season and they're shit. So. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess this could carry on to the nth degree. You know, if we beat Southampton and Forest, then we'll have Chelsea next and people say, aha. This is the true test. You know, you could <laughs> yeah. say it about every game. And I do think that is sort of the case with the Premier League. Every game is a test. Every game is mm. genuinely pretty challenging. Um, the, the, it's quite a boring answer, but the real test is what can you do over 38 games? You know, what kind of consistency can you provide across the course of an entire campaign? Particularly a campaign that is sliced in two by a World Cup. Um, you know, as good as Arsenal are in this first half of the season, it's very difficult to kind of predict or imagine what Arsenal might return mm. in January. Um, it's almost two little mini seasons in a way. It's yeah, a yeah. bit reminiscent of when we had Project Restart. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I know what the question's driving at, though. You know, Arsenal have beaten. Tottenham and beating Liverpool and they go to Leeds and Southampton in the next fortnight and there is a nagging part of my brain that thinks well I could see us dropping points at, in one of these games mm. uh, I predicted it um, I can't remember which one but I, yeah I, I, I think they're all tests and I think uh, these are different challenges and away from home you know it's two league games away from home off the back of Europa games it will tell us a lot about how we handle that challenge of travelling and playing in Europe and then mm. going away from home, what sort of depth we have to manage Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. So it's going to be pretty instructive and pretty important. But I think that Leeds and Southampton in themselves as opponents, you know, Arsenal should feel confident of, of going there and beating those teams. 
No, I agree. If you can play the way we played against Liverpool and beat Tottenham and, you know, we've we've done well this season in general, you know, th- there should be confidence anyway. I think the, the, the thing not to do is get carried away. You don't get, you don't start looking at Chelsea before you've played any of those games. You know what no. I mean? But I, it was very interesting to, you know, watch some of the players in their post-match interviews yesterday the phrase du jour was game by game. We go mm-hmm. game by game. Um, Martinelli said it. Ben White said it. Um, maybe Saka said it as well. That it's just the next game, the next game, the next game. And I think that will be the mindset. I don't think Arteta is the kind of guy who's going to let anybody get carried away with anything. Um, you know, you want to harness the positives. You want to harness the, the, the confidence and, and everything else. But at the same time, the minute there's a moment of complacency at Premier League level, you'll get found out. You'll get punished for it. So they'll be hammering that home, I'm sure, on the training ground. Like, well done. Enjoy that. Now forget it because we've got another game to win. So, um, you know, what you do against the the sort of lesser lights obviously has a big impact on where you're going to end up. But if you if you take anything for granted, you know, you you will drop points. So I think that's the way he'll be going at it. We had a couple of questions like this today. Luke Kempner on the Discord said, I have a question. Do you think Tottenham beating us to the Champions League last season has actually been a wonderful gift in disguise? Now we can concentrate on the Prem and rest players for the Europa League. And Jake Chester on Twitter, do you think in the long run missing out on Champions League last season could be a net positive? We got the summer business done without the extra money. And the Europa League fixtures have given a chance to give real minutes to exciting squad players and rest the other players mm. to help us secure top four. Well, yeah, I mean, I can see the logic of that. Um, and if we'd missed out on the Champions League to anyone else, it probably would be much easier to make that kind of rationalisation, you know? Mm. But because it's them. Look, the, this, the the question of how you use your squad has come up quite a bit in, in the last little while. And, you know, people were getting a bit upset about using first-team players in the Europa League games. You know, Tommy Asu coming on and playing a bit at left-back and Gabriel Jesus and Saka and everything else coming on. Um, you know, it's, um, it's just part and parcel of using the squad. So it, it might well suit us this season because I'm not sure we've necessarily got the squad depth for for Champions League games where you're having to play more of your first team players in midweek. You know, if you're playing a big team in midweek and you've got to play, let's say, Thomas Partey three times a week, can he do that? I'm not sure. Nobody is quite sure. Um, What we don't know is, you know, with the Champions League money, how much more work on the squad would we have undertaken? Yeah. Um, But, you know, it may have been that it was just too big a job anyway to get the team competitive at Champions League level in the space of a summer. Um, mm. I think there's positive and negative to both. I think that obviously it was a huge negative, as you say, to miss out Spurs. But in a funny kind of way, that is proving massive motivation, I think, for the players this season. So, Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, um, that's the one thing I will say, is that the what, what that pain has manifested itself as this season is very interesting. Mm. Because it's not... It's nobody's feeling sorry for themselves. They want to put it right. 
you know, and failure can be a huge motivator. It really can. It can drive you because you don't want to experience that again. What was it Aaron Ramsdale said last week? They've got the fire inside because of the pain of last season, you know? Yeah. Nobody needs a fiery arse, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that from that perspective, it can be a positive in terms of, of you know, how we deal with this season ahead and, and what we're determined to do. I think there's there's definitely something to that. I agree. I agree. Um, your question. It's my question. Okay. We have had a couple like this, right? Um, Letra on the Discord. How many yellows would you have handed Simicas? My count was on three, and that was prior to him elbowing Gabriel Jesus in the face. And let me ask you first, did you think that was deliberate? I've only seen it once or twice, but I didn't actually. I know that you did, didn't you? Have you seen the angle that I posted on the blog this morning? Uh, no, probably okay. not. Let me just send it to you. Um, will I do it in the chat here? Uh, yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, there we go. And have a look at that and tell me if you think it was deliberate or not. Uh, here we go. Ah, this one, yeah. I mean, it may have been, looking at that, mm. that looks more deliberate than the angle I saw through the coverage I watched last night. Um, it was a scary moment, to be honest, because was this the one where Jesus went down? And Yeah. To be honest, I was surprised he played on. Well, that, that, that I've got some follow-on questions from that. Uh, two underscore KS said, what did you make of the decision to let Jesus stay in after the knock he took? The way he hit the ground seemed really unnatural, similar to when an MMA fighter gets their bell rung. Yeah. And yeah. Um, let me see. I think it was QC Gooner. Uh, goodly morning. As much as we all love Gabriel Jesus, can we also not admit that he should not have come back into the game? Does the Premier League have any sort of concussion protocol to take these decisions out of the player's hands? and given to a third-party neurologist on site for games, etc., etc. He said, I'm spitballing here, but after watching the horrors of the Miami Dolphins quarterback, uh, Tua, whose name I can't pronounce, uh, going back into a game with clear concussion, I worry for player safety. I do too. Um, the Premier League told us that Gabriel has just passed all the necessary on-field tests. Do we know if he was unconscious? Uh, we don't know for sure. Right. But uh, all I know is that he reportedly passed the on-field checks that he needed to in order mm. to continue playing. Are those on-field checks stringent enough? I don't know. You know, I, I know anecdotally some people in the medical profession were a bit surprised that he was allowed to continue playing. Because I agree, you know, if a boxer went down like that, fight's over. I mean, he was not... Mm. Like, it, like his body went completely limp, right? Mm. Um it, you know, it was like the life had just gone out of him. So I did find myself looking at it going like, if he was a less important player, would he be playing mm. on, you know? Yeah. I am slightly uneasy with it. And I don't wish to cast aspersions on, you know, any of the professionals involved. It's just a case of do, prem do, the, do the Premier League and do the authorities take these kind of head injuries seriously enough? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the question is, if he was unconscious, if he was actually knocked out, 
Mm. He should not be playing. He should not be continuing. I don't think that's the right thing. And I, I think you might have a point about the importance of the player. Of course, we don't know 100% if he was unconscious or not. Um, it did look like from where he was getting treatment that it was his nose. Yeah. So maybe, yeah. maybe. He may have just taken a big bang on the nose. Yeah. I mean, you know. It could have been like a, it could have been like a pain. Um, how do you say this? Like, did you ever, like, I think this, maybe I'm wrong here. I don't know. But it strikes me that maybe, like, if you get a punch in the side of the head and you're knocked unconscious immediately versus one where you get, like, a bit of overwhelming pain and you kind of zone out into, like, a slight bit of unconsciousness, are those things different? I don't know. Not sure. But I'm not sure. I, but I, I do think the way he went to ground, mm. I mean, again, I'm not an expert, but to me was more symptomatic of someone who, you know, has suffered a concussion. But, but I, you know, I think all we can do is have faith in <laughs> the medical professionals on the scene and hope that the appropriate checks were taken. I think that uh, the Premier League have tried to introduce you know, more stringent guidelines around this, but I think they are still a way behind a number of sports. And what's interesting is now the Premier oh, League attracts so much yeah. attention in the States. Um, and I actually think, you know, leagues like the NFL are much more conscious of this issue. Well, maybe. Talk to the Miami Dolphins guy. Yeah, sure, sure, um, sure. I'm just watching it again here. He does go down like a sack of spuds, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, the thing about it is, is there are protocols. I mean, there you can now make concussion subs. Yeah. So if he was deemed unfit or if he was unconscious, it wouldn't cost Arsenal a sub to bring somebody on, which I'm, I wonder, is that essentially moot now in the five-sub era? That it doesn't cost you as much anyway, but a little bit. Like, it, like, would it be better if it was a case that you are allowed to substitute someone for five minutes so that you can properly mm. assess them? Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Under the current guidelines, the the, the players sustained a head injury can't be returned to the field of play. You know, that is why clubs are always going to be tempted to leave them on. Um, and see how they do. Whereas if you could get them in a room, put them under proper assessment and then make a final decision, yeah, that might be more sensible. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, didn't was, look it was a worrying one. And yeah, it may have been deliberate on Simicus's part uh, looking at that replay. Regardless, I, I think I was quite uncomfortable with him continuing. No, I don't think he was right either after the, um, you know, after the, the whack. Yeah. He wasn't quite, you know, where you would expect him to be. But then late on, he goes in and he gets sandwiched between Allison and Van Dyke. Yeah. Um, he's a brave lad. He really is a brave player. Um, and I think that the way he did that, whether he should have been on the pitch or not, sort of epitomizes what he brings to the team and, and the way that he is trying to raise standards, as people have talked about. Obviously, his quality as a footballer is one thing, but the mentality, maybe it's misplaced when you've been knocked out, if he's been knocked out. But, you know, that bravery should be something his teammates look at and, and think, well, look, if he's doing that, you know, I can't be the guy who's found wanting in that regard. You know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. He, he is 
just sensational. I mean, I've spoken to so many fans of other clubs who've marvelled at his performances. Um, now, outside of Haaland and probably Harry Kane, I don't think there's a centre-forward playing at Gabriel Jesus' level in the league mm. right now. Um, he, yeah, he's he's been so excellent. And you know, his, his willingness to fight for every ball... You know, a sixty-yard pass lumped at him, and he's you know against yeah. centre halves who are six inches taller and ostensibly more physical. And the way he battles, the way he uses his body, there were moments in the game yesterday where, when he had the ball at his feet inside the penalty box, you could tell Liverpool defenders were terrified of what he might do. Um, almost shades of Jamie Carragher, you know, sort of being thrown this way and that by Thierry Henry. <laughs> uh, he's just been really complete and really outstanding his performances and let's hope that he's looked after this week sure. and nursed back to health because we we desperately need him yep for sure uh, <laughs> bit of a change of pace okay um, Ashley Moss on Twitter says with the video of Aubameyang's views on Arteta circulating at the weekend is Oba just a bitter man or do you think he has a point and do you think he has tarnished his Arsenal legacy in any way? Have you seen this video? Yeah, if people haven't um, seen the videos doing the rounds, I don't quite understand or know fully the context of it, right? No, I've got no idea where it's from. He's basically sitting in a room with two guys or three guys because there's two guys that we can see on camera and then there's obviously somebody else filming. Mm. And I don't know what the context of that meeting is or what they're doing and they're shooting the breeze about Arsenal what I would say is I would imagine that at no point did Aubameyang think what he said in that room was going to be released to the public right so yeah I, you know, I think it's a jeweler's I think he's with a jeweler buying some jewellery and I think it might be for their own YouTube channel but I'm I'm not right 100% on that right I still don't think he was expecting anything he said to be released. No. Um, sorry, I just dropped a pen. Um, it's quite funny, isn't it, that he's talking about how Arteta can't handle big characters and he needs young players around them because young players will do what they're told. And then <laughs> two 21-year-olds do what they did yesterday. Mm. You know, Bukayo Saka... Um, Gabriel Martinelli, I mean, it it just sort of makes a complete lie of that, you know. Martin Odegaard, still a young player. Um, William Saliba, who, who we've spoken about. This is a team full of young players, and it's top of the table. And a team with plenty of big characters, yeah, well, I, I would say the, as well. That is the difference. It's like, what is what is your definition of a big character or being able to handle a big character? Like like him or loathe him, as some people do, I would say Granit Xhaka is a big character, mm -hmm. right? Um, you're telling me Aaron Ramsdale isn't a big character? Mm. You know, there are players in this um, in this team, and I mentioned it, like there's some, like Ben White, who I'm going to ask you a question about now in a minute as well. But, um, you know, there are characters in this team. So a big character, depending on your definition, you know, might be, a player who is a troublemaker. I'm not saying that that's 
what Aubameyang is or was or anything like that. But, you know, that's sort of what the perception of that comment is, isn't it? You've got to be able to handle the big guys. You've got to be able to handle the guy who doesn't, you know, doesn't always do what he's told, who doesn't do what you say, you know, who doesn't follow the rules, who doesn't turn up for training on time because, let's say, they've got a special talent, which Aubameyang, you know, had as a goal scorer but doesn't really have that anymore, right? So I just think it's quite... Uh, it doesn't stack up. You know, you can be a big character and you can be a positive in the dressing room. But if you're a big character that's more hassle than it's worth, well, we know what happens to you at Arsenal. You're yeah, gone. That's it. And I think we all, you know, we all have stories about our own lives that we tell ourselves to kind of make sense of events. And I think this is probably a Bemiang's, but I'm not sure it really stands up to huge scrutiny. I mean, to be fair to him, I think if you replace the word character with stars, you know, big mm-hmm. stars, then I think maybe there is a case that, you know, Arteta doesn't like working with stars who think they're an exception to the rules. What I would say is, does Pep Guardiola, does Jurgen Klopp, do you get the sense that there's anybody at Manchester City or at Liverpool who exists outside of the standards that are set by the coach? Mm, good point. I, I don't think so. And I think... That's the kind of culture he wants to build. And the other thing I would say is that, you know, when Arteta came into the club, he tried to integrate Ozil into the team. It was one of the first things he did, brought him back into the side. He, you know, embraced Aubameyang as captain, gave him a three-year contract on huge money, went over, signed that deal. He was telling people the manager was a big part of why he My manager. My manager, isn't that My what he My manager. Said, yeah. So I don't think it's quite accurate to be like, you know, fundamentally, Arteta won't work with these big players. I just think it's when they fall foul of the standards he expects, things go awry. Um, well, uh, the the other thing to say, right, is that in his very first press conference, when he first arrived at the club, Mikel Arteta made it very, very, very clear to the public what he expected from everybody at the football club in terms of how they work and how they behave. And, you know, he said, like, how we live together. Do you remember? Yeah. And that was in a press conference or that was in an interview with Arsenal.com or whatever. Can you imagine how much he stressed that within the club itself? Yeah. You know, in training, in the meetings that they have, you know, in the various ups and downs that they've experienced during his time in charge, none of them would be under any illusions about what's expected from them in terms of their behavior and their work and their commitment. And to sort of mouth off about it when basically you've been cast aside because you did not live up to those standards is a bit much. And I think, you know, the people will be a lot more sympathetic to what Aubameyang said if Arsenal were struggling in mid-table and people say we could use a guy like Aubameyang now. Nobody's saying that. We're top of the table without him. Mm. You know? So it kind of rings rings pretty hollow. And I'm sure he's still not happy about what happened and how his time at Arsenal came to an end. Does it damage his legacy? I don't know. Maybe a little bit. Depends on the person. Yeah, like I'm, I'm happy to remember him as the guy who scored two goals in the FA Cup semi-final, two goals in the FA Cup final. You know, made a big contribution, and then for whatever reason, it started to uh, dwindle and diminish, 
Um, you can't take that away from him. But he's now a Chelsea player, and I've got no interest in in that sort of side of his life or career anymore. It's a bad time for uh, those comments to leak from an over perspective. Do you know what I mean? I, like, if Arsenal yeah. were struggling or hadn't scored goals or Arteta was a bit less held in high regard, maybe they'd gain more traction. But... You know, coming out the same weekend that Arsenal beat Liverpool just after beating Spurs, mm. uh, I think they'll disappear just as quickly as they emerged. Uh, Jesus of Yarnham, who's at Jesus of Yarnham, said Ben White on being sports. He seemed cold, almost pathologically so. Do you think it was due to the uh, his impression of how the media never gave him a chance and how even now, after adapting to right back and producing high standards, no one raves about him? And we had some uh, question on the Discord about this as well. Let me see if I can find it. Um Boomer Gooner said, uh, is Ben White the most boring slash least enthusiastic post-match interview since Aaron Ram- uh, Aaron Ramsey? And I was looking at this guy, are you crazy? Rams- uh, ben White did an interview, you know, where he talked about how things were different this year and, I and everything it, yeah. else. It was a really good interview. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed uh, the way he um, he carried himself in that interview. But he also did another interview with um, Norwegian TV, uh, Jan Arga Fjortoft again, who's doing all the post-match interviews and stuff, which I thought was just fucking hilarious. It was really, really funny. So uh, I'm going to play a little clip of it here. Ben White was talking about how um, family, you know, the Arsenal group, you know, they're all pulling together. They're all going game by game. We're all a family here. That was another thing that was doing the rounds in the post-match interviews. And this is this is what we got next. But still, family don't win football games, so you need that uh, extra thing there to, to get out of, of jail when you're down to 2-2. Two, two. What does that say of the moral of this uh, Arsenal team? Yeah, obviously we're quite good at football as well as a, being a family, so um, <laughs> that helps. You know, the, the signings that are coming this season have been amazing. Um, help massively and you know the the team that we've got people coming on from from the bench and finishing the game for us is is vital it's not very often that you see a team starting with four attackers as i did from from the start there at liverpool did that surprise you or or were you just seeing that as a challenge with all the strikers yeah to be fair, i didn't really notice um <laughs> i had uh, what i had to do and you know i was so focused on that uh, everything else just goes on the <laughs> I love that. I like it. What do you think of the four Liverpool? Oh, I didn't really notice. I yeah. love him. I fucking love him. He's brilliant. He's so deadpan in those um, in those interviews. Um, and it's it's obviously quite deliberate, you know. Did you see? Yeah, the- he, he he's a really interesting character. Yeah. Um, so Arteta won't work with him. I wouldn't think. <laughs> uh, but no, he 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 conducts himself with the air of someone who knows. <laughs> A, who has sort of supreme confidence in mm. his own ability. I think that much is really evident. Um, but also who knows that football maybe just isn't quite the be-all and end-all, you know, and who sort of refuses to partake in the sort of uh, dramatics that exist around it yeah, and yeah, outside yeah. it at times. I think it's very, very healthy and it gives him a real sort of psychological robustness which he takes into his job. Mm. Um I thought he was brilliant again. Oh, me too. Yesterday. Me too. Like, yeah. I think the biggest compliment you can pay Ben White 
when you see Tommy Asu play the way he played yesterday at left back, the fact that Ben White is keeping a player of that quality out of the team at right back is a real testament to just how good he has been this season. Yeah. And he's adding stuff. You know, you think of him as a centre-half playing right back, tucking in, playing in midfield. He's adding these driving, overlapping runs Mm. to the byline where he's really dangerous and difficult to live with. I mean, I think back to the opening game of the season, we talked about, oh, Zaha's going to be on the left against Ben White. How's he going to handle it? And then you think in the last couple of weeks, he's played up against Son and then he's played up against um, Luis Diaz and Jota in the course of this game. And we haven't really given that much consideration or flagged it as a huge worry at any point. So... I think that tells you how much he's excelling. And, uh, yeah, I just think he's a, a supremely confident footballer and rightfully so. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think a big character. I think he actually is. Yeah. You know, in in many ways, we've got these different kinds of characters within the squad. They all seem to blend very nicely. I enjoyed the, um, the bit after Saka's penalty where they're in the yeah. huddle and he just comes in late and then whacks Granite Shack about three times in the back of the head. <laughs> I don't know, you know, what exactly to make of that except to laugh because it's just very funny. Yeah, he he's, he's, he's funny. He's a really funny guy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but he was also fantastic on the field yesterday. Really, really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loved him. Um, What have I got here? Well, let's have a nervous question. David Barrett on Twitter <laughs> said, uh, anyone else nervous about backups for Ramsdale, Partey and Jesus? The rest of the team feels like a movable feast. But with those three, it feels their absence will be huge. When Ramsdale went down injured mm. and camera cuts Turner, it did not feel great. <laughs> I, agree, I agree with that. I, I texted you, I think, I just like, uh-oh, when Ramsdale yeah. went down because... Um, yeah, I, I, it's one of the areas of the squad where the quality of backup that Arsenal have available is less certain, you know, there's only so much we can know about Matt Turner really as English football fans at this point in time. For sure. I mean, we haven't seen a lot of him. I thought, you know, I thought he was good with his hands against, um, Bodo Glimt. Um, not quite as good with, with his feet, but then it was interesting to note that Ramsdale, played it pretty long most of the time yesterday mm-hmm. and I think that's part partly because Liverpool were playing four four attackers and you know if you play it short out from the back and you beat that press then you know you're in good shape but that is a difficult press to beat with those players so I think there was something common sense about that as well yes I mean look I I do worry a little bit about backup for Ramsdale um but when you look at the other teams in the Premier League and what they've got as backup goalkeepers, I don't know that they've got much better than we do, you know? Um, True. And the presence of your first choice goalkeeper is is sort of taken as a given. I would be a little more concerned with the Partey and with the Partey one more than the Jesus one. Because um, I do think Eddie is, you know, is making progress and we saw last season like he's not 
Gabriel Jesus, don't get me wrong, but I'd feel more confident about that position or our, our ability to deal with the absence of Jesus more than I would feel confident about our ability to deal with the absence of Partey. But this is where I think January becomes very interesting. You know, we've got, what, three, four weeks just over until we break for the World Cup. And in that period, you know, before football starts again on the 26th of December, there's certainly plenty of time for Mikel Arteta and Edu to lay the groundwork for potential recruitment in January, isn't there? And like mm-hmm. early recruitment in January. I'm not talking about like, will we get somebody on deadline day? I'm talking about like the kind of signing that maybe we were looking to make during the summer, whether it's Douglas Louise or somebody else. You know, we wanted to make that signing in the summer. We also wanted to bring in a winger during the summer as well and, and didn't get to do either of those two things. But this break in the season, as weird as it's going to be, gives you the opportunity to spend some time doing that because you're not you're not um, tied up in that Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday schedule. You know, you've got nothing to do. Some training, obviously, and some behind-closed-doors games and, and everything else, but it's going to be a weird period in the season. But perhaps an opportunity if Arsenal go into, you know, the last... Um, the last part of this first part of the season in good shape, then you can address those issues. So I'm not necessarily that worried about it now because I think there is a chance to do something about it in a way that there wouldn't normally be. Yeah, I think that's going to be really interesting. Really interesting. But uh, yeah, those are the those are the three, I think, that worry me most in terms of their availability because I mm. just think their qualities are... I mean, I, I accept Eddie's doing well, but I think Jesus has already become a bit of a talisman for this team. I think psychologically sure. to lose him would be a blow. And to be fair, I think you have to start thinking about Granite Shattaker in that category as well. You know, is there someone who could step in and play his role as well as him, as effectively with all the other kind of, um, you know, leadership elements he brings? Mm. I don't know. So... Yeah, it's going to be a testing period in that respect. Let's hope those guys can stay fit. Ramsdale is fine, by the way. There's no uh, ill effects from whatever it was he felt in that first Okay, time. well, that's good. That's good. Um, here's uh, one from uh, Ali Boy, Alistair Wood at Boy 82 He said, there have been media reports that Arsenal have contract options to extend Saka and Saliba to 2025 and Martinelli to 26. Has James heard anything to suggest this is true? And if so, does this help us get them to sign new deals this season? While um, Emperor Bumblewank, who's at Capable of Flight, said, rank the contract importance. Martinelli, Saka, Saliba. Oh, wow, that's a lot. Um, the contract options thing, uh, I believe is true. I, I, I can't say it. I haven't seen the contracts, but, uh, mm. people, you know, who I trust tell me that that is correct. And in fact, the news David Ornstein wrote today in his column about Charlie Patino having a plus two option within his contract. It gives me some reassurance that the same could exist for Martinelli. It is unusual, but perhaps this is something Arsenal have been working on and trying to do for some time. Yeah. Um, it seems there are multiple instances. How much does that help? I don't think it helps that much because the issue is not that someone like Martinelli's contract is close to expiry, but that he's being paid um, a sum that is not really representative of his importance to the team anymore. Sure. And there's a gap there that Arsenal have to close. So... 
I think that has to happen kind of irrespective of the contract length. You know, you could yeah. say, well, you're under contract until 2027, but why would you want a player unhappy, you know, feeling like they deserve more uh, for too long? I just don't think that's good management of the situation. Yeah. Um, you start, they start looking around for other offers, frankly. Yeah. What is the most important? What was the, who was the three? Martinelli, Saka, Saliba. Yeah. Really hard to separate. Really hard to separate. Um, I guess I would say I consider Saka the most important because to me he is sort of the symbol of the club and the project, probably a future Arsenal captain, mm. one of our most important players already. I think uh, sort of to lose him would be heartbreaking. Saliba, you'd say probably next importance just because he's got slightly less time on the contract than Martinelli. And mm. I think, you know, with Saka and Martinelli, they've both been fantastic, but there is kind of a, you know... you. you Saliba's offers you something very different at the other end of the pitch. And then Martinelli, just because he's got the longest potential time on his deal, maybe slightly less of a priority. But let me be clear, they are all massive priorities. And if Arsenal can get those done in the next few months, mm. what a bonus, what a lift, what a message sure. that would send. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right to point out that, you know, I've seen people saying, well, why would William Saliba sign a new contract with Arsenal when, you know, he could... Um, attract offers from from elsewhere but he is probably and is obviously underpaid based on the contract that he signed when he joined the club as an 18 year old Mm -mm -mm. um and part of why he might sign a new deal is is a very substantial increase in wages now i don't know if these contracts sometimes have like a, a a raise built in so if you do the option you pay you know, yeah, you they get paid do. more. You know, There'll they be often like a do. Buy clause for Arsenal. Yeah. So either it'll be a lump sum or it'll mean an increased salary. Yeah. Yeah. But look, I, I think the three of them are now so important. Three 21 year olds that you're looking to secure long term because of what they bring you at both ends of the pitch. Um, you know, I find it hard to rank them, but I'd sort of go along with yours in the sense that like Martinelli, because he's got the longest contract is maybe the less or the least important, which isn't to say it's not important. Um, but, but Saka get him tied down because he is just so, uh, so crucial to this team. And Saliba, I think if you secure him, you get those three tied down. Yeah. Everyone's going to be, um, party poppers out. Right. For sure. All right. For sure. Okay, we have got to go. We've got to call it quits here because um, there are things to do, people to see, uh, places to go and all that kind of stuff. And we want to get this podcast out to you guys um, as as quickly as we can. So as ever, thank you so much indeed for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoyed the game. Hope you're enjoying what's going on at the moment as much as we're uh, enjoying talking about it. Plenty to come this week as well, of course. Europa League action and um, and lots more. Uh, We'll keep you up to date on Patreon and beyond for now. Now, though, thank you, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.